As a dad to three small children, I am sometimes blown away by the powerful messages embedded in children's stories. One of my favorites I discovered shortly before my son was born, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse by Charlie Maxey. It's a beautifully illustrated conversation between four unlikely pals who find themselves adrift in the wild, leaning on and learning from one another about some simple yet powerful life lessons. I want to read you a short excerpt before we dive into today's topic. Being kind to yourself is one of the greatest kindnesses, said the mole. We often wait for kindness, but being kind to yourself can start now, said the mole. Often, the hardest person to forgive is yourself. Welcome to the Behaviorist with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm your host, Mike McKenna. Our intention for the Behaviorist podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift towards joy and meaningful achievement. Today, we're turning our focus on perfectionism with a helpful reframe around the pursuit of excellence. We're grateful to have two special guests with us today, Sarah Bruton and Vanessa Filbert, joining me here. Sarah is the COO of Simon Lever, a business advisory and CPA firm. She joined the firm back in 2009 and became a partner in 2020. As a CPA, she consistently strives to live the firm's mission of maximizing the success of those she partners with. Sarah is a graduate of Messiah College and an active community volunteer. Vanessa is no stranger to the Behaviorist podcast. She's CEO of Community Action Partnership, which is Lancaster County, Pennsylvania's largest anti-poverty organization. There, she oversees dozens of programs and community initiatives that foster economic mobility, advance health and nutrition, safety and empowerment services, and quality early childhood offerings. She is also an associate here at Work Wisdom. She has a bachelor's from Albright University and a master's in strategic leadership from Elizabethtown College. So today on the show, we want to explore a challenge that many professionals, myself included, struggle with, differentiating between perfectionism and excellence. I'm sure we've all heard the expression, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. But to me, that feels pretty simple. For one, perfect is an ideal that is, by definition, unattainable. Secondly, many of us are striving for a high standard beyond merely good. On today's podcast, we want to clarify some key differences between the pursuit of perfection and the pursuit of excellence. And we're going to give you some concrete practices that will help you meet high standards without some of the baggage. So I want to get into it with what might be a little bit of a doozy of a first question, and that's about failures. Well, hello. (laughs) You didn't give us a chance to warm up. I hope your warm's up. We're talking about failures, even though, right, you're thinking high standards, that must be about our successes. And it is. But I think as leaders, the thing that we wrestle with is talking about our failures or or maybe where we didn't succeed, where we missed a goal, where we feel like we let the team down, our partner down. Um, And in my experience, I'm sure the case with you, Sarah and Vanessa, it's actually in those mistakes where we find the most room for growth, where we learn the most about ourselves. 
I know when I was a kid, I was wired like a perfectionist. Vanessa, you've known me a long time. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you can't see that. (laughs) Definitely didn't follow me into young adulthood. Um, But I remember when I missed a goal or target, it felt so personal. It felt like a failure. And it was not just like, oh, that wasn't good. I could have done something better. It felt like, oh, I'm not as good as a person as I should be, you know. Um, There was definitely no water rolling off the back of this deck. (laughs) Um, but I have done a lot of practice around reframing, other practicing other uh, behaviors, um, so that now I see a setback or a mistake. That's a big learning opportunity for me. So on today's episode, we're going to normalize talking about our mistakes, and um, you guys can choose which one of you tells me about your failures first. Rock, paper, scissors, <laughs> I won, just like that. Yeah, Vanessa said she wanted me to start out with my failure, so here it is. Um, I was still new to management and I was working with one of our younger team members. I was responsible for them and we missed an important item for a client. I don't think I'll ever forget the phone ringing and answering it and this client asking me if we had taken care of this item and then looking into it and realizing we hadn't. I remember the the feeling of both panic and fear thinking, how could I have missed this? How are we going to fix it? And what was the client going to think of us as a team? We had failed and I had to go out to that client that day to talk to them Mm. about how we were going to find a resolution. That was a long drive, huh? Oh, it was a very (laughs) long drive. It was a painful drive. Actually, I was just all those perfectionist self-talk was swirling in my head on the drive out. I was thinking things like, how did I get into this role? I'm not good enough to be in this role. How did I miss checking for this item to make sure it was done? Um, but we got out to the client and we worked through it. We found a resolution that took care of the immediate concern um, and even created some processes to make sure it wouldn't happen in the future. And I think that's what, when I think about what did I learn from it is that even in the big scary mistake mm-hmm. that I was like, how are we going to fix this? Like we did and we right. found a solution and we never made that mistake again. Um, so I think that's the great part about failure is you learn from it and you get better. Right. Which is the goal. And you were still a good leader and you were still a good person. <laughs> I think How it's interesting. Um, you know, oftentimes when we think about perfection, we think it seems like we negotiate our belonging, right? So mm-hmm. if we do something that deems us imperfect, it's like we forfeit our space in that community, in that family, in that role. Um, so I'll give you two quick ones. One's personal, one's professional. So I will say um, junior year of my high school career, going into the summer of my senior year, and I find out I'm pregnant. And that was not the plan. Mm -hmm. Um, And in a lot of ways, felt like a big disappointment and failure, especially to my family, who had some aspirations for me to go to college um, in a more traditional way. So my sister um, went to college, but as an adult, because she was helping support our family alongside my mom. So she sacrificed her dream and did it a different way. Um, And I was kind of the first of our family to do it kind of this traditional way. I was going to go right after high school and I was already like looking into those things. So it was interesting in that moment, that feeling of failure. um, I think what I learned there is sometimes failure makes you think that the dream is gone. Hmm. Um, And, you know, I couldn't quite see in the moment that there was still lots of life and potential and runway But in the moment of that, it's really hard to recover. Um, And it's hard to imagine it differently. And I think as I work with colleagues and friends who maybe lean a little into that perfectionism, I think sometimes it's that idea of like, there's no other way because I failed. And there's usually always another way. Um, And when I think about it professionally, I think Mike and I were working together, actually. And he was transitioning out out of a role 
I was just getting promoted into the role that Mike was in. Um, and I made, I, I missed something on a report deadline and it was pretty significant. And, um, I was upset with myself more than anyone else could be upset with me. And I think that's the other thing about perfectionism is that those people who are in pursuit of getting it right, um, the failure that you feel internally mm-hmm. does not compare to anything else. Anyone, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter, right? That in itself feels terrible. Um, and, you know, we, I learned some practical things for myself about reminders and ways that I would manage my inbox so things like that wouldn't happen again. Um, but automatically I started to think like, oh, I'm not, I should not be getting promoted. Like I'm disqualified. Um, and I think that's the big lesson around perfectionism is that it doesn't mean you're disqualified. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you both for sharing those examples. Um, there's another um, part of that, what the mole was saying, right? Mm-hmm. That I heard in both your stories. It's like that kindness to yourself is so key. Mm-hmm. And perfectionists tend not to extend that kindness to themselves. Um, and that can be really detrimental, not just to your work life, mm-hmm. your creativity, but frankly, just your, your personal well-being. It's also, I think, creates a space, though, because I think one of the things that has been beneficial um, is creating the space to help someone help you reframe. Mm-hmm. Um, because if people don't really recognize that you have the style of perfectionism and it's really not about you being rigid or, you know, setting these standards that are on reason. It's really about this goal to get it right. And it's really internal, intrinsic. I think what I've learned for folks who I know I have a few folks on my team who really lean into that perfectionism piece. What I'm trying to do as a, as a partner, as a leader is to say, how can I help you recalibrate mm-hmm. the way you're thinking about this assignment or this failure or this opportunity? So there's less pressure and more opportunity for creativity. But it was always it's always been helpful for me to have people um, join me in the story that I'm telling myself because they can usually disrupt yes. that thing that's happening for me all alone. Yeah. They call out the lies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and say, is it true? Is it absolutely true? No, it's usually not. And mm-hmm. having a trusted friend can usually help you see through that. Um, and you know, you talked about this idea of helping your team reframe, you know, providing help, but sometimes that can feel threatening for Mm -hmm. someone who with perfectionist tendencies to ask for help. That's interesting. They they worry that, Oh my gosh, I've been seen through. Mm -hmm. Um, this is a weakness. How, how do I, you know, cover that up? Um, so I'm wondering, you know, how do you in that leadership position, help your team members see that asking for help is a brave, but also really a key part of that journey towards excellence. Yeah. I mean, I think from my perspective, it starts with trust, right? I I think when I'm in relationship with someone on my team and they really fundamentally believe that I care about them, I can create space and trust to say, we can be vulnerable here. You know that I believe you're brilliant and smart and you can do all the things, but you know, asking for help, um, is is good leadership, mm-hmm. you know? And I also think I try to do it by modeling it. Um, I don't model it always well because unlike some of you, I don't know what your Enneagrams are, but I know Mike's. Mm-hmm. I'm a two on the Enneagram. And um, for me, it's more about feeling shame about making someone else like do more. So we tend on to take a little bit more. So it's finding that balance of like, how do I model good behavior of asking for help bringing people in because I want my team to be able to do that for different motivating reasons. For me, it's about creating compassion and space to know that other people can help. And it doesn't mean that I'm failing them. Right. And for a one who's maybe on the Enneagram, it's not about because they're failing at it. Right. 
So I'm trying to model that. I don't always get it right, but that I think that's the space of trust and care helps create a little bit of that ability to nurture. It's like good soil mm-hmm. to at least start that conversation. What about you, Sarah? Yeah, I really resonated when you said it was about building trust because I think perfectionism is a defense mechanism oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want anyone to see that you're weak or to perceive you as incapable. And so when you build that trust with someone, I think they let down some of those walls and you can help them see that really asking for help is part of the growth process. It's not a bad thing. It's it's what we all need um, because great leaders who are striving towards excellence, they invite people into that space with them and they say, hey, you're really good at this and I'm not. Come help me mm-hmm. or come help me grow. Right. Um, and they model that. And I think that's just so important. And it, it lets other people see that vulnerability is not bad and that's how we all grow. Yeah. yeah. That that's invitation a, is a powerful way of But that's a good that. like reminder for those of us who maybe aren't as wired to the perfectionist place is to recognize that it is a defense mechanism mm-hmm. because sometimes it's like the signals can be off for the other person. It's like, oh, they don't need any help. They've got it all together. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the person's maybe drowning in the abyss of like, how am I going to get this all done? So I think it's a good reminder for those of us who maybe are on the side to say, hey, let's not just assume that they've always got it all together that they don't need any help. But how, to, how can I create some curiosity here that doesn't make them feel more stressed Defensive. and more yeah. stressed? Yeah, that's good. So if you're leading a, a team on a project and you're, you're striving uh, towards completion of that task, when you're thinking about this discernment between perfectionism and excellence, what are some of the tactics to keep the team sort of on the, the right side of that threshold? High standards, but not falling into maybe unattainably high standards. And are you looking at just the end result? Because that's probably what a perfectionist is most focused on. Mm-hmm. Or are you thinking about, hey, there's a whole journey here. As you said, there's a lot of growth that happens when you're trying to figure out that process. Um, how have you sort of walked that alongside your team? Yeah, I mean, I think that both the journey and the outcome is important. As leaders, like outcomes are important. We're charged with making sure that outcomes happen, but the journey is just as equally important. It's easy to place all the weight on the outcome, but you have to also value the journey. And actually it's probably more valuable because what you learn on the journey with people will usually pay dividends in future outcomes, even if maybe it's not in the current one. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just helping people understand the value in the growth process and the, the journey of it rather than just what's the end result. It's not just right. about winning. And it's not just that single project. It's about the development of the team. It's Correct. about the overall sort of performance and a whole range of goals, most likely, not just the specific one for that project. Yeah, I think, you know, what's so interesting about doing these podcasts is that you're talking about, like, the person you want to be, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's like aspirational, it's aspirational mm-hmm. leadership here, um, because when I think about how I show up and do it sometimes, it's not exactly what comes to me when we're kind of creating this um, content for, for our listeners. Um, but when I think, how could I answer that question? I would say my job as a leader is to set really clear vision mm-hmm. about what is the, the final product, what are we trying to achieve? And hopefully being able to discern, is this a project that we want to learn a lot or is this or is what's most important the final outcome? Right. Because mm-hmm. there are some projects that's vary. like, you know, it will vary. It'll be like, hey, we have room 
to make this, you know, an innovation or risk oriented project that we're willing to learn from and glean from. And if the product is a little different, that might be okay. And then there are some projects where it's like the outcome's not negotiable. We've got to get to that outcome. I think the other thing um, is maybe providing clarity about what's negotiable, what what they have full control and decision-making mm-hmm. power over, and when I feel like I want to give input um, or be brought into the process. Right. Because sometimes um, I think as leaders, we can create mixed signals around that. I know I do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can actually be disempowering 100 percent. and for people who are trying to get it right it can be really confusing Mm -hmm. so when i think about like how can i set that up to do that a little bit better and i think the thing that has been most helpful that we don't do always but we should do more often is that kind of post-mortem like after the project right what do we learn what we what's one do over what we do differently Um, what surprised us um, but having that built into the culture of how we do projects and problem solving is one of those things that has a lot of value. But like everything else, if we don't practice it, it doesn't give us as much out. Of, mm-hmm. We don't get enough juice for that squeeze yeah. if we don't practice. You don't build that yeah. strength if you don't practice it. And if you don't, then the postmortems feel accusatory. Like if it's not part of the culture, it feels like this is we're like... We're only doing it this time, this time because you, you messed, messed up. up. And right. we're about to uncover <laughs> right, right. that. So, and here's my evidence. Yeah, yeah, that can be really toxic. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you do postmortems on your successes as well? Yeah, I mean, I think postmortems mm-hmm. for us, when we have done them, we need to get a little bit more, I think, consistent with them. But even when it goes right, because yep. it helps remind us of like, oh, that got us here. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a winning recipe. There was, right, can we something write that about down? that worked. Um, yeah. And then sometimes when it goes wrong, it's really helpful. Um, I think the other space that's, you know, where we can gain curiosity around how we set our teams up is really thinking about like when we, the leader, don't need to be involved. Um, mm-hmm. And when we can set someone else to be the lead and really kind of walk away, um, knowing that we're there to support. I think I always struggle with feeling like if I'm not in it, then they don't know that I'm supporting them. But sometimes it's me not being there that creates more energy, empowerment, you know, mm-hmm. ownership. Create space. Create space. Um, and that's tough when you want to be a leader that feels, you know, involved and knows what's going on. But the and intention what a is gift for your team to be able to see, hey, we can achieve excellence without Vanessa yeah. in the driver's seat. And then you see that there's this real depth. And usually better. <laughs> and it's a culture of excellence that's pervasive and not just contingent on one specific leader. Yeah. But it helps, you know, as a leader, you've got to really be thoughtful about that because what you don't want to do, um, I know for me especially, is like you've got to build your own um, confidence in that space because when you are the set leader and you're trying to build your team up and they're killing it and all of a sudden it gets really unclear about what perfection and what excellence looks like for you because you're not as connected to the work in the same way. So it's like trying to communicate that often helps because then you can just feel like you're storming in when you should be having a seat right. maybe and yeah. not and not having a practice of like micromanaging after the fact yeah um because that can really stifle that pursuit of excellence for the rest of the team sarah i'm curious about your field in particular so you're a cpa this is your busy season so thank you for carving out a little time with us um but your fields really um is built on a foundation of of oversight, of integrity, of accuracy, which are excellent qualities in any profession, but especially critical in in accounting. Um, But some of those same characteristics could uh, maybe disproportionately lend itself to a sort of a perfectionist mindset. 
Um, so how do you try to navigate that in your field specifically um, and sort of keep um, a space for that like psychological safety on the team, if you will, and room for innovation towards excellence? Yeah, this is just a really good question. And it's one that we've had to wrestle with um, as a leadership group at Simon Lever. In our industry, accuracy is just so important. Um, people expect, um, and rightfully so, that when we do work for them, that it's it's correct. And so as we're developing people, it can be really easy to stifle that growth process and that learning process in the name of, well, it has to be accurate and it has to be perfect. Um, and so I think we've had to prioritize helping our leaders understand that the growth process is really important. Mm. Um, and if they don't do that, we're going to be limited in our ability to serve others. Like we are constantly micromanaging and, you know, stifling them from getting to, to learn or try something mm -hmm. or make a mistake, yeah. um, then they're not going to be able to grow. And that limits us. Um, we actually have a core value of excellence, um, at Simon Lever and we've defined it as we'll do our best every time. And so we talk often about, it's not, it doesn't say we'll be perfect every time or we'll never make a mistake every time. You know, it says we'll do our best and our best sometimes means that we've made a mistake. Mm -hmm. That was part of where we were at at that moment. Yeah. Um, but then we learn from it and we get better. Right. It's this constant progression, mm -hmm. right? It's like a circle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and as soon as yeah. you learn something, yeah. you got to learn something else. So. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Well, we'll do our best every time. That's really, I mean, excellence is one of our values too at CAP. So I love the way that you've created mm -hmm. kind of space for like, this is the best we can do in this very moment. And that feels a little liberating. And your yeah. best may be different mm -hmm. tomorrow or right. the next yes. day. And that's the great part. Right. Because right. life is life. Yeah. And the complexity we all bring, you know, our full selves to our work, your best at one season of life is going to look a lot different mm -hmm. from another season where the the other factors may may be in a different place and honestly as you said like your best on a monday is probably different than your best on a wednesday that's and okay. my best on a friday <laughs> afternoon usually isn't that great so right. i try to make sure i'm not doing critical work on my friday afternoon that's a really good strategy you can like be intentional about recognizing that in yourself and then adapting accordingly. Yeah, and knowing that your team knows that too. I mean, we have kind of a joke in our, on our team, like anybody Friday afternoon is not their best self. Um, you know, you've had a long week, you're, you know, you're doing all the things, you're ready for the weekend. Um, and while we all try to create space to like slow down a little bit, it just never feels like quite mm -hmm. enough time to slow down. So Fridays, you know, afternoon, we can always kind of tell um, and when we're in those kind of huddles, we were together this Friday um, working on a few key projects and I was not my best self. I was tired. I had a long week and I was like kind of over it. Um, and, you know, my team kind of came in and they were like, wow, you're looking kind of rough. And I was feeling kind of rough. So I looked the way I felt. Um, How's that for psychological uh, so safety? safety? They just tell, they like just tell me like it is. It's a little <laughs> annoying sometimes. Um, but it was an interesting experience. I was like, oh, and I knew I was being maybe shorter or more direct um, I mean, always peppered with humor, right? But I was like, I need to pull it together mm -hmm. and I need to get out of here soon. So yeah, I think it's fair to think about that. Yeah. So we've talked about failures or sort of better way to say that, are navigating our mistakes constructively. We've talked about valuing the process and the journey as much as the end result. Um, now I want to kind of leave uh, on that hopeful note. Let's talk about dreaming, right? Mm -hmm. Um, th what perfectionism and excellence share in common is they're both striving for high standards. 
uh, one just has perhaps impossibly high standards. Um, but we agree that leaders should have high standards, and that can be a really powerful thing for the team. Um, and, and you talked, Vanessa, about how do you um, articulate a vision for the team? How are you casting that vision for the people you're working with? Um, so you, both of you, I can tell, you know what winning looks like for yourself. You know what winning looks like for your, your company or your organization. Um, and it makes me think of this Adam Grant quote, excellence is the product of high aspirations and low ego. Excellence is the product of high aspirations and low ego. So if you could take a moment, just talk to me about what resonates with each of you uh, from that quote. Um, and how are you sort of differentiating between the aspirational and the improbable when you're when you're dreaming for yourself or or for your organizations, your company. Yeah, I really like this quote. I think it it holds the tension that as leaders we often encounter of confidence and humility. Mm-hmm. Confidence that we have to set a bar high bar. We have to shoot for something that's bigger than ourselves. Um, but it also has the humility side of that we're going to make mistakes and we're going to need to ask for help from others. And that's just that dynamic of both those things together, I think is really powerful. And I think that quote gets to those, Mm -hmm. those aspects. Um, For me, it's usually easier to see the improbable side um, Mm -hmm. of things. And so I have to push myself to make sure I'm looking at the aspirational side and what can be. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I've grown a lot in that um, here in the last couple of years, just that ability to dream and let myself Mm -hmm. dream goals bigger than myself. That's powerful. Um, And, Mm -hmm. The neat part of that is you get to take other people on the journey when your dream's bigger than yourself. Mm. And so seeing that as a good thing um, versus just wanting it to be something that I can accomplish on my own. That's so small. Mm. I love that. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I had the same reaction about humility. Um, I didn't think as much about the confidence piece. So I appreciate that, Sarah. Um, I don't know. I think this is a space for me that is always a little bit of it's a struggle um, because what I am trying to be conscious of is something um, like, I don't want to have false humility. Mm. And that to me is very different than real humility. Um, And there are some folks, sometimes myself included that, you know, this leaning so deeply on humility kind of abdicates the responsibility to be confident. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a tension that I kind of live in. It was like, I don't want to be this person who's like not humble because that's like no, Nothing cute about that, right? But false <laughs> humility is actually less cute. Mm-hmm. Um, but really thinking more about um, how important it is for me to have confidence because that confidence is really what gears up and sets the path for the team. Um, so I would agree that, you know, there's something about humility that's really powerful and it's grounding at its core. Um, and I think the part that's aspirational for me is that I do fundamentally believe that when you believe that you're a part of something bigger than yourself, there is so much opportunity and clarity um, and contagion in that mm. space. Um, and I feel like that's the part, like if I, if, if I do too much on this like kind of false humility piece where it's kind of that unhealthy humility, I rob myself and my team of the aspirational kind of um, pursuit to excellence, which is aspirational, right? Um, I think I was with Kedron doing maybe when we were coaching a while ago and you know she had me do this exercise where I dreamed a little bit about what the top of the mountain looked like that Mm. aspirational space where I felt like I was called to to do whatever the thing is that I feel like I was called to do in the world and um 
you know, it was such a powerful reflection because what the takeaway was is that there's a hundred paths to the top of a mountain. It's our job to help mm -hmm. our teams find that. And I think in this pursuit of perfection versus excellence, in this space, it's about persistence. And mm -hmm. I think persistence gets us to excellence. It's like the refining of a diamond. Right. Um, versus if I was just pursuing perfection, I would go up one way. It wouldn't work. Yeah, and then that there'd would be, be no it. adaptation. Right. Well, and that would be the only way. That would be the only way. Because I think way. a perfectionist mindset, there's only one way, and that's it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, for me, feels like, wow, um, what a moment there to think about all the opportunity around you, but you can't see it because you saw you only saw this one path, and it didn't go the way you thought, and you forfeited right there. Um, so I think, you know, learning for myself of like live into humility from a place that feels, um, authentic, authentic and human centered. Um, but don't give up on the confidence that it takes to like edge into that excellence piece. Cause one of the things that I really appreciate about those of you who really, um, have a pursuit of excellence and kind of comes up, you know, in that perfectionist way is that there is no negotiating that. You know, um, I really appreciate that. I appreciate that about Mike and working with him, about some of my team members. It's like they will not forfeit the, the the best version of whatever that can be. I think my job is to make sure that I can support them to be kind enough to themselves and to create space for other people who maybe aren't wired exactly mm -hmm. that way to be part of the journey. Mm -hmm. And I love this idea of carving a lot of different paths towards yeah. the top of the mountain. Yeah, that was really powerful for me. It was one of the things that it also like just alleviated a lot of pressure. Like this is the only way. Um, and it was about a job opportunity. It was like, if I don't get this job, then do I forfeit everything that I'm supposed mm -hmm. to be? Um, and that's not true. There's a hundred ways to the top of a mountain. Well, and it's such a good analogy because no hiking path oh is my straight gosh. up. Nope. There's None. like switchbacks and weird mm -hmm. loops and, and things you, you do. you often lose sight of the top Yo, on yeah. that path. Yeah, 100%. I think even with your experience, Mike, I mean, think mm -hmm. about what your top looked like and how much joy and what life is giving you in the season that was not anything that you would have thought yeah. of, but is life-giving. Yeah. For a while there, being a nonprofit CEO was what I thought was the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, these three little lives come into <laughs> my heart and, and my mind and my home. And it's just like, oh, my goodness, I'm not sure this is the top for me right mm -hmm. now. And, and being a stay-at-home dad. Um, with of course some great consulting here at work wisdom as well. It's like been such a, a gift. Yeah. Um, and it has, uh, certainly, you know, as you're, you're working with little toddlers every day, like trying to figure out how to just do basic mm -hmm. tasks. There are so many different paths, right. To get there. Right. Like we're going to spill a whole lot of milk in, right. before we, we get it <laughs> on top of the Cheerios. Um, but eventually they're really good at it. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that has been, uh, to your point, humbling in a, in a very special way. And um, I think being open to this idea mm -hmm. that like our assumption about the top of the mountain, our perceived idea of excellence and the high standard, it's going to shift. It's going to evolve mm -hmm. um, over time. And we need to be open to that. Yeah. Um, and we're different on the journey. Mm -hmm. You know, as we learn and we grow and we get a few wins under our belt and a few losses, you know, who we are and how we show up in that journey starts to look different as well. Um, and I know that there's certain things, you know, I had some certain experiences in my work experience even where I think back and I'm like, wow, I was so not ready for that opportunity, but it taught me so much. Mm -hmm. um, and if I was there now in the version of who I am today, that would look very differently, but it was designed to be what it was. Right. 
So yeah, a lot of, I think embracing the lessons is really important. And maybe mm -hmm. that's one of the things for perfectionists that like, if you can create so much more value in the lesson learning and that things are additive to who you are, mm -hmm. um, maybe it helps create a little balance of like when it doesn't go quite the way you thought it was supposed to. Right. And that foundation gets you closer to mm -hmm. excellence over time. I've started to tell myself, just do it afraid. Oh, that's whatever good. it is, just do it afraid. Um, because I think fear is something that can really limit me. And so, and I think that's oftentimes um, prevalent in a perfectionist mindset. So just do it afraid. I love that. Hmm. Well, this has been such a great conversation. Um, I think we'll recap for our listeners. Um, we've been uh, sort of crafting a recipe here. Um, so, what you're looking at for your recipe when you're trying to uh, maybe release some of the attachment to perfectionism and maybe embrace a commitment and practice of excellence, here's what your recipe might look like. You're going to take a dash of humility. You're going to stir in talking about mistakes and learning from them in a safe way. Um, oftentimes, this is a, a growth mindset would be another way to put that instead of a fixed mindset. Um, Cultivate appreciation of your process um, as well as the intended result um, and make sure you're doing that with other people. You're creating a culture with your team. Um, and then lastly, the last thing you're going to stir in here is perhaps noticing and naming your high standards, noticing and naming your dreams um, and the why behind them. I'm so grateful to you both, Sarah and Vanessa, for being uh, part of this movement of helping others in the workplace to enhance their individual and collective team performance. Um, thank you to our listeners for downloading The Behaviorist. We hope that you'll subscribe. You can reach out to us through our website, workwisdomllc.com, where you can enjoy Work Wisdom Press and Productions. You can ask questions, give us suggestions of topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes. As is our custom, we will leave you with a quote from Anthony DeMello's One Minute Wisdom. How shall I forgive others? If you never condemned, you would never need to forgive.